Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. Um, so we're gathered here for Adult Sunday School. Uh, I am Jonathan Lowe, in case you haven't met me. Uh, word on the street is I'm a candidate for ruling elder, and you might be voting on me this uh, afternoon after church is over. So um, I'm going to be teaching today. Uh, this is sort of a one-off Sunday School class topic on finding God's will for my life. Uh, so this is a this is a huge topic, right? Um, in fact, we could easily spend like many weeks covering every one of the bullet points that we're going to be talking about. So think of this as um, an introduction to the topic, not the final word. Uh, you might think of it as perhaps a syllabus to the course rather than the content of the course itself. Um, the other thing I'll say is I'm absolutely not an authority. I'm not the final word on it. <laughs> um, I'm really just sharing with you what God has shown me as I've been studying this topic lately. Um, and also, um, I've pulled from a lot of uh, references and resources, and I'll go ahead and say I've plagiarized a little bit too. I'll tell you later which is which. Uh, so I didn't come up with all this stuff myself. There's a big list of things for further study if you want to look at the, the back of the page. Um, so, all right, well, with that, uh, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together to study your word. Um, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, we pray that you would help us all to approach um, your word and all of life humbly, seeking your will, seeking your guidance, um, and that uh, through your grace you would lead us into following Christ everywhere we go. In, in his name, amen. Amen. Okay, so how many of you have ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? Right, I, hopefully all of your hands have gone up at some point. Um, so, all right, prepare yourself. So what if I could tell you with authority from Scripture, this is God's will for your life, right? Sounds pretty good. All right, let's check it out, okay? First uh, Thessalonians 4, chapter, or yeah, First Thessalonians chapter 4, start at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. That's great. Okay, look, there's another one, okay? Uh, let's check out First Thessalonians 5, uh, specifically verse 18, says... For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Okay, let's listen up. Well, really, that's sort of in the middle of a passage, um, starting in verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Um, and like I said, this is an overview. So I'm not going to read Second Peter, but it's similar. So some of you may be wondering, that's, that's great. Uh, I thought I knew that. But really, um, I mean, what I really want to do is I, I want to make the right choice. I, I want to know what, what choice is going to please God, okay? Wonderful. That's a wonderful thing to desire to do. Okay, uh, we'll take a look at another passage then, okay? First Timothy Take a look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 3. Uh, this is good and pleasing in the sight of our Savior. And actually, I uh, should have put a few more verses on there, really kind of one through four. 
Um, he's urging us to um, pray, uh, make intercessions for all peoples, our leaders, our kings, that we can live godly, quiet, holy lives. Um, right? So, okay, well, maybe that's not exactly what I want. Okay, how about Micah 6, 8? What does the Lord require of you? Right? But to, many of you probably memorized this one. Anybody? He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Okay, so now you might be saying, well, yes, okay, of course, I, I get that, but um, <laughs> what I really wanted to know is how do I follow Jesus right now, right here, in this situation, in, the, in this circumstance, right? How do I follow Jesus? Well, he tells us, right, how to follow him. Um, Luke nine twenty three. he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So again, some of you, if you came here looking for advice on like how you should make good choices, you're probably, you're probably thinking in your head, okay, Jonathan, this is great, but I, th I think we're talking past each other a little bit here, <laughs> okay? I know the Bible has a lot to say about how we should live our lives, um, but like really, I've got to make a choice here, right? I've, I've got a, a job. I've got to pick, should I take this job opportunity or that one, right? I, um, I, gotta, I gotta know which house to put an offer on, right? Is it this one or that one? Uh, or maybe you're, you're uh, trying to decide, like, who should I marry, right? If you're a guy, like, should I marry Jane or should I marry Sally? Like, how do I know what God wants me to do in this situation, all right? And, you know, honestly, life is filled with countless choices that we have to make every single day. And if you take this to the limit, you might be asking, well, what does God want me to choose to eat for breakfast this morning? Or like, what color pants should I put on to go to church, <laughs> right? It sounds kind of ridiculous when you put it that way, but that's really what sometimes we mean by that question is, I want God to help me make a choice between A or B. So how do I do that? So I think we need to take just a step back and talk a little bit about the nature of God's sovereignty and providence before we really understand how to think about the question properly. Okay. Take a sip of water. So, um, I don't know about many of you, but um, I grew up and my wife grew up in the church, um, in our case specifically the Baptist church, and there was kind of this, this mindset that was sometimes spoken out loud, um, in some cases explicitly, but often implicitly, that there was a very specific thing that God wanted you to do. Um, sometimes they called it the center of God's will, right? So the idea that um, you know, pretty much every major choice, the course of your life, God had a plan for what he wanted you to do, right? God wanted you to take a particular job or marry a particular person or live in a particular city or like all these things. And it was sort of, it was sort of implied and again occasionally stated that it was your job to find out what choice God wanted you to make so that you could get it right, right? And if somehow you made the wrong choice, well, now you're sort of in, like, God's plan B, and, like, you could have had plan A if you had studied or prayed a little harder or something, if you'd been a little wiser. Um, so there's really kind of a lot of pressure in that mindset to not pick the wrong thing, whatever, whatever that choice is. Um, so the question then is, is that really what it what is like, right? Has, has God actually mapped out everything that is ever going to happen to you, um, in a word? Uh, yeah, kind of, and we'll take a look at that. But then the other question is, okay, well, so is there a way that I can then know what he wants me to do such that I pick the right 
you know, in life's multiple choice questions, how do I always get all the right answers? Is there a way I can know those answers? And in a word, uh, no, not really. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna get into all that, okay? So um, that takes us to the second section here is sovereignty and providence. Uh, a good place to start, I think, is um, Westminster Confession. Uh, chapter two discusses um, the nature of God and many things, but it has a couple things to say about sovereignty, his sovereignty. So I've, I've printed it there for you. I'll just read here. Um, this is part two of chapter two. Um, he alone, or sorry, he is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. So that's a lot of slightly older language. To unpack that a little bit, it's basically saying, um, you can think of it as saying, God is completely outside of the universe and time and space. He's created it all. He knows all things. Everything is open before him, and he is not dependent on any particular thing. Um, nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. So God is not sitting around waiting for you to make a choice so that he can then decide how he's going to respond in order to fulfill his purposes, right? That's not how it works. God is above all of that. He is sovereign over everything, right? You, um, you probably have heard the analogy of like, well, a butterfly flaps its wings in India and it causes a hurricane and wherever. So the point is things happen, but God is sovereign over all of that, right? And that even applies to us and our choices. So we'll take another um, jump down further in the Westminster Confession to chapter 5, which is actually all about providence. Um, you should just read the whole thing, but we don't have time this morning. So I'll point out a couple things there. So what exactly is providence? <clears throat> God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So here's the term providence. Um, and it, it, this is basically a way of saying that God, um, the way God works out his sovereignty, how, how that unfolds in real time, that's what you call providence. So, you know, the, the fact that you are presented with one set of choices instead of a different set of choices, right? That, that's God's providence. Um, another... Another very um, important answer here, which took me a long time to, to wrestle with, it's to kind of grapple a bit, so it's chapter two, or chapter five, question two. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. What does that mean? Um, Again, we could spend a whole morning class just on this one question and trying to grapple with it, but, but to sum it up, God is the first cause. He's the ultimate cause of all things. That's where his sovereignty comes into play, but he uses means. He uses secondary causes, and those secondary causes very frequently are us and our choices. So what the confession is trying to explain is that, um, you know, that there's, this, there's often this tension between, like, free will predestination, like did God determine it or did I choose it? And I think what it's really saying is it's both. So God doesn't force our choices the way, you know, a puppet master pulls the strings. Um, but God, and this 
This blows your mind. You can hardly wrap your mind around it. God ordains all things to use our free choices to accomplish his purposes, right? So God doesn't force us to make a choice. He uses our free choices to accomplish his will. Um, I mean, you could, I, I don't know, think of it like a spiritual jujitsu or something, right? So we, we choose to make a choice, and God takes that and uses it to accomplish what he wants, okay? Um, again, this, it, it, it's, it's a huge thing. But it's in, it's in Scripture, all over the place, everywhere. So if you, uh, if you have the handout, sorry, if you don't have a handout, they're in the back. I'd recommend grabbing it. Um, so there, again, this is everywhere in Scripture. Um, I'm not going to read all of these. I'm just going to kind of mention them. I'd encourage you to go read them and verify what I'm saying, and I'm sure you could add 10 more to the list. But, um, you know, a great example is in um, is the story of Pharaoh all the way through. Uh, you know, it talks about Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, and then in, in there it says, God says specifically, I raised you up for this purpose, to, to do this thing. Um, if you, I, I really love the book of Daniel because if you study it, it's really the entire book of Daniel is explaining and showing how God works providentially even in pagan Gentile kings through multiple empires successively to accomplish his will. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, there's a, a couple of great verses as well, uh, like one that I forgot to put on there but is worth looking at. I'll just read it briefly. You could write it down if you got a pen. Is um, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Right? God says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Um, and then perhaps um, one of the greatest examples of how this works out in history is <coughs> explained in Acts 2.23, right? So this is uh, Peter talking to the Jews right after Christ's ascension. And he says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right? So it was... God's plan, God's foreknowledge, but lawless men did the, did the deed. They did it. Um, so again, it's, this is a massive topic. Um, so there's some terms that you may hear thrown around. As, uh, one is a decree, and that is God's decisions about what to do in the universe and history, or that's one definition of it. Um, and then similarly, providence is God accomplishing what he decreed. Right? God accomplishing what he decreed. And these are things that he brings to us or allows to come to us that we don't have any control over. This is just, again, the, the circumstances of life that comes up to us. Um, a, a couple of things to keep in mind is that providence is personal. Um, it's not just like God sort of planned the broad strokes and then we kind of fill in the gaps and we just like show up. No, it's, it's personal, right? I think the story of Jonah is a great example of that. Uh, there's plenty of others as well. Um, and then again, this kind of gets to the topic of like, you know, do we actually have free will? Like if God determined it, like why am I responsible? Like no, you are still responsible. So um, Romans chapter 3 talks a lot about that as well. Um, really Romans 3, 5 through 8. 
Again, I'll read that real quickly. Um, but, if, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could, ju- how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why, do, and why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just? So this is one of Paul's sort of like argument, counter-argument things, but, but the overall point is that we are still ultimately responsible for our decisions. Um, but again, God uses those. So it doesn't, res- it doesn't remove our responsibility um, to obey. Providence does not remove our responsibility to obey. Um, another great thing to keep in mind is that a great deal of God's providence has already been determined. So things like when and where we were born. So what, to what parents, at what time, you know? Like why, why am I living now in 21st century America in Las Vegas? And why not in, you know, first century Palestine or seventh century China? or 23rd century on Mars, right? Like, all these kind of circumstances, these are things that God's providence has determined. Um, You know, even our our bodies and our lifespan. Oh, sorry, I should give you the reference for that if you're not familiar already, is Acts 17, 26. Um, Paul says, uh, Paul was uh, preaching to the, the Greeks, I think the Athenians. He says, and he, God, and he made one, he made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Uh, and then our, our actual bodies and our lifespans that we're given, right? Our, our genetics, all, all of this is part of God's providence. And we see that in Psalm 139. Uh, you probably know that for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, and then later on it says, you, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All right, so again, this is talking about God's providence and bringing us as we are to the places that we are in life. So from here, you know, we, we do understand, we got a little better idea now of what providence is and God's sovereignty. Um, so when we, when we think about the way that people often ask that question at the beginning, what is God's will for my life? Like, what should I do in this situation? Um, I think that what we often mean by that question is we want God to, to tell us something that only God knows, right? You know, only he knows what that eternal decree is going to be. And sometimes we just, we just want to know, right? What should I do? How do I not mess up? So if that's really what you're asking, if you're asking for God to tell you something that only he knows, that's like kind of the very definition of special revelation, right? Um, you know, you, you can't know something about how I think or feel or what I plan to do tomorrow at work unless you come and ask me. And the same thing goes for God. There are things that we cannot know unless he chooses to tell us. So what is, what is revelation? What is the special revelation? Well, I mean, in a word, it's really all of Scripture, right? Everything that God has told us in all of Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ that, that is his revelation to us. And there's a very important verse, um, which you, you may have seen before, uh, that is in Deuteronomy chapter 29. <clears throat> and it's in verse, yeah, 29, 29. Sorry, my notes had marked something else. 29, 29. This is Moses talking to Israel uh, shortly before they go into the promised land. 
So they, you know, they've already received the Ten Commandments and Leviticus and number all the bulk of the law. So Moses tells them, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So again, he's explicitly saying there are things that God is going to keep secret, and you're not responsible for those. What you are responsible for is what he has told you, right? So again, the idea is don't focus on, don't worry about the things you don't know. Worry about the things you do know, right? This isn't an, an exact application, but it reminds me of um, a quote by Mark Twain, um, Samuel Clemens, and he said something to the effect of, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand <laughs> that bother me. So again, this is why, like, you got to focus on what God has told us. Um, and when we, when we try to get around that, when we um, make, make special efforts um, to learn things that, we, that God hasn't told us yet, um, the Bible talks about that too. In fact, earlier in Deuteronomy, there's a verse that's relevant. I'll just kind of read the whole passage. Uh, this is Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, verses 9 through 15, or 9 through 14. Actually, I'll read 9 through 14 and then connect it to 15 in a second. So um, it is, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So, frankly, that's that, that's a large part of what you might call divination or, you know, sorcery or witchcraft or all these things, you know, trying to, to speak to the dead or other spirit realms. Like, very frequently, the, the reason people go there is because they, they want to find out something that we can't otherwise know, right? Um, and that's, that's the very thing that Moses was talking about. It's essentially our attempt to find out the, the secret things of God, um, and that is strictly off-limits. Like, th these are very strong words the Lord has to say about these topics. So it's off limits. So I find it interesting. I actually just noticed this this morning. Um, the very next verse after all this stuff that's in summary saying, don't go looking for stuff that God hasn't told you yet, right? The next verse is, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And that immediately connects us to Jesus Christ who, as we know, is the, the ultimate revelation of what God wants us to know. Um, and then we'll, we'll jump ahead again. Another example of this whole idea is actually found in Acts 1, 6 through 8. So this is um, Christ after his resurrection. He's about to ascend, right? He's with the, um, the disciples. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's that whole idea of the, the secret things. It's off limits to you. But what does he say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So again, the focus is don't worry about the stuff you don't know yet. 
the stuff that's only God's plan, what you need to worry about is what I've told you. Like, this is, this is where you need to focus, right? Um, so then let's just take a second and, and think through. So what has God already revealed to us? What has he already revealed to us? Um, and a, a very important question along with that is how does God reliably communicate his will to us? Um, and the answer to that is, again, essentially all of scripture. All right, so Hebrews 1 uh, the first verses of Hebrews 1 are a great place to go for this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So again, all of Scripture, right? The law, the prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, um, the epistles that explain it, but ultimately it's, it's Jesus Christ himself and, and what we know about his character, you know, how he shows us what God is like and his mission, what he came to do. Again, so that's, that's really the ultimate um, of God's revelation to us. All right, so that brings us to the, the next point here. So, all right, now that we've taken a step back and we've looked at um, God's sovereignty and providence and revelation and what we should do with it, maybe we can kind of restate this question of how do I find God's will for my life? Let's think of it in a little different way. So, I mean, a, a way that you could point this out, a way that you might say it is here. How, so, instead of asking that, maybe I should ask the question, okay, so how do I go about exercising my mind and my will to follow Christ in all of life's situations? You know, making sure I'm seeking his glory first um, and seeking my own highest spiritual good and taking into account all of the guidance God has already given us throughout all of scripture. How do I do that? Well, what do you think that sounds like? This sounds a lot like what? Anybody? What does that sound like to you? Exactly. That sound, that's like the essence of living the Christian life, isn't it? right? Or you might say uh, walking by the Spirit or ab abiding in Christ, right? That, that's it. That's what it means to be a Christian and follow Him. Um, so one thing that I, th I thought was very interesting, um, I, you know, I suppose you could have different uh, takes on this verse, but in, in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14, um, I mentioned verse 14. I'll, I'll read the passage here, so starting at verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the author of Hebrews here is talking about the idea that as we grow in maturity as Christians, you know, you, you move on from the basics. You start to, um, you know, as it says here, essentially master the oracles of God, right? You become skilled in the word of righteousness instead of unskilled. Um, and they specifically use the, the phrase, your powers of discernment have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. So, 
to me, that sounds like the whole process of maturing from, you know, a, a newborn baby Christian to a mature Christian is practice and training in this very question. Um, and practice and training implies that you're not going to get it right immediately the first time, right? You don't accept Christ as your Savior and suddenly know all the right things to do all the time. You, you have to grow and develop your skills in the Word, um, and it, it's about applying it, right? One decision after the other, right? How, how does God, what does God's Word have to say about this? Um, what does it not talk about over here? How do I do it? I made, okay, I'm going to make this choice, and then well, that had some negative consequences. Maybe I should have rethought it. Maybe I, I wasn't interpreting the scripture and applying it correctly, so I'll, you know, do better next time. So I, I just think that's something that's interesting to, to keep in mind. Um, the fundamental question, though, is when you, when you come to some kind of decision point in life, how do you approach it? Do you come to this, this crossroads and do you ask yourself, where do I want to go? Or do you ask yourself, where is Christ leading me, right? So um, my uh, former pastor had this great picture. I, I had slides, I'd show you the picture. But you can imagine like walking down a country lane or something, and you come to like a four-way intersection. So you could go straight, you could go left, you could go right. So in other words, do you come to these uh, forks in, in the road in life, and do you say like, well, I don't know, which, which way looks right? Uh, I guess I'll go that way. Or do you picture your situation more as, you're coming down this country road and in front of you is Christ the good shepherd and you are one of the sheep in the flock following him. And so the question isn't, where do I want to go? The question is, I need to wait and see which way he's going to go and then I'll follow him, right? That's, that's the approach, the mindset that we need to have in all of these things in life. Um, so another, another way to think about this, um, many years ago when I was when I was in like middle school, the uh, children's minister at our church used to say all the time, God is not a Coke machine. <laughs> and it took me a while to like really tease that out, but think about it. When you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you interact with a Coke machine, right? Step one is you decide you want a Coke for whatever reason. You know, maybe you need the caffeine, maybe you went to the Coke Museum in Atlanta and their marketing worked and you're like, I gotta have a Coke. So you decide this is what I want, okay? Uh, you go find the machine. You, you come up to it, you uh, present your offering, you feed it what it needs, you make your selection, you get the Coke, thanks, go about your day, don't, don't have a second thought. That's not how you interact with God. <laughs> That's how you interact with an idol. That's not how you interact with God, right? So now the question becomes, from this mindset, how do we seek guidance from God? How do we seek guidance in these situations? Um, I, I think the best place to start is really the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, it, it works very well as kind of a, a template. Um, and of course, it starts with thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So again, we always have to start with that mindset. And then the rest of it goes on to offer the supplications, um, you know, provision for our daily needs, um, deliver us from evil, all the things that we need to, to have in life to follow God is what you're asking for him. Um, you know, and again, prayer, right? I, what, we got like 15 minutes left, if that? Like, we can't really go into prayer, but this is just a, a quick thing I want to mention is that, um, you know, in Matthew 7, Christ uses human analogies to say if, if your child comes and asks you for something, you're not going to give him something bad, 
you may not give him what he asked for, but you're not going to give him something bad. So how much, how much more is, is God like that for us? Um, and I think a, a really fantastic place to, to really dig in is in Romans chapter 8, um, which you know, Pastor Tim has been preaching through. Um, but if you, if you check out, just, I mean, you've got to read the whole thing, but especially if you look at um, the latter sections of the passage, you know, Romans 8.28 is one of those verses that a lot of people memorize and a lot of people use, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So it's a true verse, but people often take it out of context in a way to say like, oh, God's just going to work everything out. And like, okay, in a sense, that's true. But if you look at the rest of, look at the rest of the chapter, um, at, you know, further up, he talks about our adoption as sons and gives us the spirit to cry, Abba, Father. So again, it presumes this close father-child relationship that, that Christ mentioned in Matthew 7. Um, and then right before it, we have the verses in uh, starting 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, and he who searches hearts knows what is the spirit, what is the mind of the spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we skip over the verse. And then in 29, it picks up, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Right? And then after that is the passage about nothing can separate us from God's love. So, so what we see, this verse about God works all things for our good, it's right smack in the middle of a section that seems to be saying, when we pray, we're weak. We don't know how to pray properly. Um, but the Spirit intercedes for us. So you, you could imagine you're faced with a situation, you think you want something, you want God to guide you, and, and we give our specific prayer request to God. Um, but again, we can't know the mind of God. We don't know it. We can't know it. But who does know it? The Spirit. And the Spirit intercedes, and you can imagine him taking our prayer request when it's offered in the name of Christ, when it's offered seeking his will first, and he can say, like, well, you asked for this, I'm going to give you this instead. You asked for that, actually, I'll give you that, right? So you can see how the Spirit changes our prayer request to line up with the mind of God, um, and then that's how he works out everything for our good. And the end result, again, it's put in this, this passage that talks about from predestination all the way through glorification. So again, the whole, the whole arc of our lives is already in God's hands. It always has been. Um, and that's how these things work together. So now with our final 10 minutes, uh, we can talk about how do you make wise and godly decisions? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we pray, um, we ask for guidance, but we still have to actually make a choice, right? We we actually have to uh, pick a number and make an offer on that house. We actually have to take the job and sign on the dotted line, right? We actually have to go uh, buy the engagement ring and propose to somebody for getting married or say yes if they do ask us, you know? Um, so how do, we, how do we make godly decisions? Um, again, this is like a, a whole series of Sunday school topics. Um, you know, start with the Psalms, the Proverbs. There's an awful lot to say about that. Psalm 1, um, you know, Proverbs 3. Um, lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Uh, th there's just so much there. And it's our responsibility to know what God has revealed to us and, and then bring that to bear on our decision making. 
Um, in, in studying, I found something that I, I found to be very helpful. Um, it's a, it was written by um, a guy who is essentially, essentially a Puritan in the 1700s um, by the name of Samuel Pike. The reference is there in the link. Um, and he, he really teases all this out and kind of offers kind of an outline for how you go about making godly decisions. Um, again, the, the outline itself is not scriptural, but there's a lot of references. I think it's helpful. Maybe it would be helpful for you too. Um, you know, the first step is obviously study the word, seek counsel from other Christians, pray, right? Probably we know these things. Um, try to steer clear of uh, bad or unreliable sources of guidance. Um, things like feelings, you know, like, oh, I've got a feeling I should do this. Well, is that feeling from God or is that feeling from tacos last night? You know, what, <laughs> how do you know? So that can be unreliable. So go for the reliable sources of guidance. Um, and then, of course, the way the Spirit works is very frequently the Spirit will direct us to His Word, right? And then bring to mind um, how that applies to our lives. But again, that's not the same as using your Bible like a magic eight ball, right? Have you ever, like, flipped it open and said, I'm, what is that? Oh, God says I should do this, right? That's, that's not how the Spirit applies the Word to our lives. Um, and then there's just, like, kind of basic wisdom, right? If you're, if you're presented with... Um, you know, something good, something bad, something that's bad but not as bad, like, well, is it, is it just purely a natural materialistic kind of bad, or is there a spiritual good or bad to it? So how you, how you work through these decisions um, is, is something that we, we do as the, the training, the practice, applying God's will to our lives as we go on. Um, and, you know, when you've, you know, I, I guess as an example is you, you have to take a, a, whole, a more holistic picture. So, um, if you're, if you're faced with choosing between two apparently good things, like, how do I choose that? Well, if you're going for the natural good, you might say, like, well, hey, there's a, a great promotion I could have. There's a lot of natural good that can come from having a promotion, but how does that play into the spiritual good, right? It, it, is getting this promotion actually going to help me further God's kingdom in my life and, and do better at the things I know God has called me to do, or is it going to get in the way of that? So we, we've got to weigh these things. Um, and then, you know, when, once you've done all of this, if you still feel kind of stuck in the mire of how do, what do I do, then sometimes you just need to wait on the Lord. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he has some, some act of providence that's going to come your way and close a door or open another one, and you just haven't gotten there yet, so you need to wait for his timing. Um, and then at, at the end of the day, when you've when you've approached everything and you've gotten to this point, um, we have freedom in Christ, right? God doesn't expect us to know all the answers. He, he wants us to make our choices, um, and we, we have freedom. So I, I wanted to read a very short passage um, from this article I found from R.C. Sproul. I think he does a great job of saying it succinctly. Um, so from Sproul, he says, as an example of uh, when it comes to deciding whom to marry, for example, right? When it comes to deciding whom to marry, you look at everything Scripture says with respect to God's blessing on marriage. Having done that, you might discover that there are several prospects who meet the biblical requirements. So which one do you marry? The answer to that is easy. Whichever one you want to marry. As long as the one you choose falls within the parameters of the preceptive will of God, that's his, his law, right? God's law is revealed everywhere in Scripture. As long as the one you choose falls within the parameters of the preceptive will of God, 
You have complete liberty to act according to whatever pleases you, and you do not need to lose any sleep wondering whether you are outside the hidden or uh, decreative will of God. First, you cannot be outside the decreative will of God, right? <laughs> you, you just can't. Second, the only way you are going to know the hidden will of God for today is to wait until tomorrow. And then tomorrow will make it clear to you because you can look back on the past and know that whatever happened in the past is the outworking of the hidden will of God. In other words, we only know God's hidden will after the fact. We usually want to know the will of God in terms of the future, whereas the emphasis in Scripture is on the will of God for us in the present, and that has to do with his commands. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, many people ask me how they can know the will of God for their lives, but rarely does anyone ask me how he can know the law of God. People don't ask because they know how to understand the law of God. You find it in the Bible, right? So again, it, it points us back to um, wrestling with and understanding and applying what God has told us. Um, and, and after we've done all of that, um, then we, we have freedom to live and choose within, within those parameters. So, well, I actually made it on time. I was worried I wouldn't. Um, any, uh, any questions? I know I just kind of blasted through there. Yeah, Mark. Oh, sorry, micro microphone's coming. Uh, Microphone. Oh. In uh, Acts, where the apostles roll the dice to yeah. see what g God's will is to replace Judas, and of course it's Matthias, but... I've always been fascinated by that and you know and you you know I've read stories of people like having a question and so they open to a page of the Bible put their finger down and but uh, I don't think that's a wise thing to, for us to do maybe you know for the apostles since they were but do you have any commentary on that yeah so so there's kind of a whole other section we could talk about about um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of unique or uh, special kinds of guidance. And of course, there's lots of examples in Scripture um, about God um, directly telling somebody what to do in terms of a dream or a vision. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the lots. That's great. You know, um, in the Old Testament, they had the uh, what Urim and Thummim, and we don't know exactly what it was, but it functioned as a, a way to make a decision, whether it was like flipping coins or rolling dice or some equivalent. Um, so yeah, there's a whole there, there's a whole section of things that we could study as far as that, um, and I, I think I think the basic answer is that we we shouldn't try to expect or require God to work through those kinds of means, um, you know, be, because we don't have in Scripture anything that points us to an authorized mechanism to do it. Like the Urim and Thummim was maybe a different example because it does seem like Scripture gave them that as. Um, as an option. And, you know, there were prophets, so people would go to the prophets occasionally and, and ask, what should I do here? And then God could reveal that. Um, but you do, you kind of look through, you kind of look through the, the timeline of history from Abraham up through Christ and through us to today. Um, and the, the general thrust of all of those kinds of special revelation things, they, they generally, um, or like miracles and signs and wonders as a general rule, they, they tend to have the focus of preserving God's people and pointing them forward to Christ. Um, and then where you see them in the, in the New Testament, 
they tend to have the focus of pointing people back to Christ. So again, Christ is the, the center. He's the thing that we need to, to focus on. Um, so I, I would, you know, I would submit that if you're, if you're stuck in a decision, um, you know, casting lots and rolling dice is probably, probably not the best way to go about it uh, because there's a lot of wisdom <laughs> that Scripture has to say that could help you make a choice. And I think, um, you know, again, kind of my perspective is that God would be more honored by a, a godly choice made in faith rather than like, well, I don't know, I'll just pick one, you know, so, yeah. Oh, microphone, yeah. <laughs> I found that when I've got major decisions that need to be made in my life and I feel like my flesh and the enemy are just I feel like a ping pong ball, like I'm being tossed yeah. back and forth. Then the word of God uh, rises in my heart and says, the w um, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So when I hear that, I know I need to stop and just yeah. wait on the Lord and he will direct my path because he promised that he would. I believe in his promises, so. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Jane. That's a great point. Another. Um, a verse that I think ties into that is that um, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So I, I think, again, it goes, it goes back to that point is we need to trust in God and act in faith, right? As opposed to, oh, I, don't, I don't know what do I do. I'll just pick something or, or fretting about that, you know. There's so many places that we're told not to be anxious because we, we need to trust in God's providence, Right? It may not be what we expect. You know, we don't know what it is ahead of time, but we need to trust that he's, he's got it. He's got it under control. <laughs> so, any more? Yeah, here, last one. Well, sorry, we're streaming, though. There may be people online. Yeah. Could you argue that the casting of lots to choose Matthias was a great example of what not to do? Because God already had the man chosen to replace Judas. That was Paul. Right? He says, I was a called disciple. That was the man called to replace Judas. So the idea of casting lots, could you argue that th that was clearly a wrong example? Um, I, d I don't know. I would, I would have to think about that. I would say, at, at a minimum, we could say that the, the disciples casting lots and choosing Matthias, it certainly didn't limit God's plan. He still called Paul anyway, and Paul still accomplished his purposes. Um, and, you know, Matthias was no doubt used by God as well. So, I, th I guess, yeah, that's, that's something I'd have, to, I'd have to think about the best way to respond to that. I don't know if Tim has any great insight, but...
All right, thanks everyone.